We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor Dion shares his message from our series, Waiting on the World to Change, on selfless service. Well, hey again. Welcome, everybody, to Pathfinder and to our final week of the series, Waiting on the World to Change, where we acknowledge in the series the common angst that we all experience. The world needs to change, right? Even if we disagree with how. And that's what we're talking about in the series. Uh, I've said that earlier. Uh, but, but I want you to know in the final week of this series that there is a shortcut that gets you out of all of the stuff that we've talked about. There is a hack that will get you out of having to do all this work of, of being involved in changing the world. And here it is. The world could just end. Am I right? <laughs> the world just ends and we're all off the hook. Or at least if it doesn't end, it could completely fall apart. And sometimes I will admit that in my um, more cynical moments, that's what I find myself longing for. I don't want to have to change the world or be salt or light in the world. I just want the zombies to come. All I want. Or I want some other event to happen that, you know, will shake our, or the foundations of our world so that I don't have to think anymore about how do you change the world. I just have to think about one thing. I only have to think about how do I survive? And I'll also admit that for the first couple of weeks of this uh, pandemic, I thought my wish had been granted for a minute because suddenly we're facing this scary thing and no longer are you worried about changing the world. Suddenly it's every man, every woman for themselves. And I will fight you for that last package of toilet paper now because it's survival. It's not civility. My family needs it, right? But here's the thing. Um, and I hope you know this. If not, you'll learn it today. As God's people, we're, we're given a different set of expectations in every circumstance, no matter how hard even when we believe we might be facing the end. Today we're gonna to look at some words from Peter. Um, Peter, if you don't know him, he was one of the followers of Jesus, one of the closest followers of Jesus. Later he became one of the key leaders of the church after Jesus. And if you know about Peter's life, at least as he was following Jesus around, Peter was a, uh, he was a, he was a pretty savage, ruthless kind of guy. I'll tell you what I mean. There was one moment in Peter's life where he knifed a guy because the guy tried to put his hands on his friend Jesus. So this is who we're dealing with when it comes to Peter. Pretty ruthless, pretty savage. And yet later in his life, he wrote a letter and here's what he said. First Peter 4, he said, the end of all things is near. So he's writing to uh, Christians who are experiencing, he'll say later in the chapter, fiery trials. Things are getting bad. And there was this common acknowledgement that the end of all things is near. I'm not gonna say a lot about this today, um, but there's a couple different ways you can look at this understanding of the New Testament writers. Either they looked around and said, you know, the world's getting bad and the world must be ending and they authentically believed that and they were wrong, which could be true. Or um, there's this whole theology called realized eschatology. You can go home and you can Google that and spend the rest of your Sunday afternoon chasing realized eschatology, which simply means that we as people of faith believe that when Jesus came and died and rose, he inaugurated the end times, that we're now living 
in the last days and that we've been living in the last days now for over 2,000 years. But everything that the Bible says about the end times still applies and continues to apply to us in the here and now. Uh, Now, realistically, the followers of Jesus living in this time because of everything they were experiencing truly believed the end must be near. And so Peter says, the end of all things is near and here's his advice. Therefore, be alert, makes sense. Be of sober mind, right? Be watchful, be clear-headed. It's getting bad out there, that makes sense. So that you may pray. Maybe not the kind of action we would expect. It, it gets better. He goes on and he says, above all, here's what I want you to do. Be alert, be sober-minded, and above all, here's what I want you to do. Love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. And then offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In fact, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is so not the Hunger Games, right? And this is not what you would expect if if you follow Peter's life. This is not what you would expect, the advice you would expect out of Peter. Because here Peter says, you know, the end of all things may be near. It's getting bad out there. But there's no mention of, of I'll cut you or, you know, save yourselves. There's no mention of all bets are off, the gloves are off, do what you need to survive, protect yourself, protect your family. Instead, Peter talks about all of these things. He says, he says we're, called to, we're called to pray, we're called to love each other deeply, we're called to offer hospitality to one another, and we're called to use whatever gift we have received to serve others. Again, pray, love, show hospitality, serve. Pray, love, show hospitality, serve. That's our response to a world that's gone crazy, to a world that looks like it's passing away, to a world filled with fiery trials for the people of faith. Now I'll tell you, this this cuts a little, as I've already acknowledged, because I know, I know that over the last year plus, especially, my focus has drifted inward. And yet Peter here calls us to all of these outward things, right? To love, to pray, to show hospitality, to serve. And yet I know my focus has drifted inward. Even in my line of work, which kind of demands that I think outwardly, I know that my focus has drifted inward. And so I know it's been a struggle for all of us. Frankly, if it's been a struggle for me, I'm sure it's been a struggle for all of us. But the, but the truth of the matter is, the reality of this is that it doesn't take much, does it? To drive our focus inward in life. We already have this tendency. One of my favorite Um, Latin phrases, and I don't really quote a lot of Latin, you know this, Uh, but one of my favorite Latin phrases is this uh, phrase, in curvatus in se, in curvatus in se, Um, and that is a theological definition of what we call a sinful nature, you've heard maybe that phrase sinful nature, that we all have a, a nature that's sinful, and what in curvatus in se actually means is that our nature is not necessarily to do bad things or wrong things, those come as a result of this other thing, incurvatus in se means to be turned or curved inward. 
Simply put, that what the foundation of our sinful nature is, is a preoccupation with ourselves to turn inward. And I think, man, I I believe that's right on. That that's the root of all of our problems, this desire to turn inward, to curve inward on ourselves. And, And you see, if turning inward, if curving inward is already our inclination in life, just generally on any good day, how much more of a temptation will it be when things in the outside world have gone crazy? Right, the end of all things is near. And you can almost hear Peter saying, between the lines, saying, I know you want to turn inward, but instead I'm calling you to live outwardly. And if you haven't noticed over the course of this series, as we're talking about what we can do to change the world, these are all outward things. We say go out and have spiritual conversations with people. And we're not talking about, you know, like beating people over the head or, or old school evangelistic conversations, which just try to catch people in logical inconsistency or whatever. We're just talking about having, having conversations that are seasoned with salt. Talk about how God is moving in your life. As Aria said earlier, talk about how you're witnessing the wonder of God and the goodness of God in your life. We talk about generous living. We talked about the or principle, openness, awareness, readiness, where we're living with eyes that are open hearts that are open, we're aware of what God is doing around us and we are ready, our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We're ready to do whatever God calls us to do. And today we're gonna talk about selfless service. See, in, in the face of a world that sometimes seems scary where we want it to change and our tendency is to curve inward, to protect ourselves, maybe to fight for our survival, the survival of our family, the people we love, our tribe. Peter says, no, no, no. You gotta turn outward. And today we're gonna talk about selfless service. See, you were specifically designed to live outside of yourself. And that means that you were designed for a purpose outside of yourself. It's kind of the the bedrock of selfless service that you were designed for something beyond turning inward, for something that's very outward. Uh, whenever I meet with premarital couples, it's, it's wedding season right now, um, and so whenever I meet with couples who are getting ready to be married, um, I, I bring up this, this one um, thing when I ask them about their plan for children. As you might know, there's a, a command early on in Genesis. It's one of the first commands in all of the scriptures. And the command is from God himself, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. You've heard that? Fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. I got two people who raised hands. I hope that means you're just not being interactive today and not that you've already stopped listening. We're only 10 minutes in. Um, be fruitful and multiply. You've heard that command before. And so when I meet with premarital couples, we talk a little bit about their plan for kids because as you know, expectations about kids and how many you want to have and if you want to have kids, like that's, that's a big deal in a relationship. Um, But I always talk about this too, that although we tend to interpret that command still to mean, hey, you should have a bunch of kids, in light of the resurrection of Jesus, that command takes on a different meaning, a different shade for us. No longer is it only about procreation. It really is about living a life, having a life that brings fruitful things into the world. I think in light of the resurrection of Jesus, it's probably more about inviting other people into the kingdom of heaven 
being fruitful and multiplying your faith that way to add many more people into the family of God than it is about biological reproduction. But, but at its base level, that command to be fruitful and multiply, and I talk about this with every premarital couple because as we know, not everyone can have kids and not everyone wants to have kids. And so I say, you know what? It's important for you to take this command to heart and to have something to live for outside of yourself. Every marriage needs that, that if the focus of your life only becomes each other, that, that dynamic, that incurvatus in se will happen in your marriage and your marriage will turn inward on itself and it will not be healthy. You need something to live for outside of yourselves. And, and for those of us who have kids, that's, that's a part of this, right? Your kids call you to live outside of yourself. It's not just about a couple anymore. It's, it's about helping others grow and survive and thrive. Uh, you might also have heard um, this old illustration, and I think it applies, that um, in the ancient Near East, in, in the Holy Land, there are these two great bodies of water. There's the Sea of Galilee in the north. That's where we see Jesus and his disciples doing fishing and stuff, crossing the lake back and forth. It's this really you know, life-giving body of water. Uh, and then it's connected by a river, the Jordan River, all the way down to the south. There's another big sea, and that's called the Dead Sea. So you've got Sea of Galilee in the north, the Dead Sea in the south, uh, the River Jordan connecting them. And the Sea of Galilee is this great, you know, living body of water. People fish. The Dead Sea is what it sounds like. It's dead. And the reason it's dead is because unlike the Sea of Galilee, the, the Dead Sea has no outflow. So stuff flows into it. And yet with no outflow, it becomes stagnant, the minerals build up, and it cannot sustain life. The same thing is true, again, and I say this to, to premarital, premarital couples, the same thing is true of your marriage. If it doesn't have an outflow, it will stagnate, it will die. The same is true of our families. Those of us who have kids, if just being a family and surviving and thriving as a family, if even that becomes the family's mission, your family will stagnate. It will not be healthy. It will not be fruitful. If there's one thing that I, I've kind of been surprised by, frankly, um, in my career as a, as a pastor, is how much this calling in my life has benefited my family, specifically how much my family has been strengthened by allowing Pathfinder Church's mission to become a big part of the thing that we live for as a family outside of ourselves. Um, every member of my family loves this mission. It's something we're all passionate about and we find ways to contribute to it. It's something that we give ourselves to and, and I think what it does is it protects us as a family from just being about the Garretts. It gives us something to live for outside of ourselves and it's been powerful for my family to have this. We were talking about this at the dinner table last night that sometimes being a family in church work is hard and I'm not gonna share with you all the stories, you can just know that. But there's also something really powerful and life-giving about having this mission to live for together. And, and I want you to know today that it's not just about marriages and families. If that's not where you find yourself, this is something every person needs too. I want you to hear me clearly today that every one of you, every one of us was designed to live outside of ourselves. And so if you don't have an outlet to, to, to live outside of yourself, you better find a way to do that. Just like stars were made to shine, just like horses were created to run and trees to grow strong and tall, you were created 
to serve selflessly outside of yourself. This is not only the word of Peter, this is the word of Paul, the other great leader of the Christian church. He says this in Ephesians 2, for we are God's handiwork. I love that, just alone, block out the rest. You are God's masterpiece. Right? Some of you just need to hear that today. Because you look at yourself and you don't see a masterpiece, you see a mess. You look at yourself and you see nothing special, and yet the reality is you are someone who is created intentionally with love by design by a Father in heaven who steps back and, and looks at you at the state of your life even now, and he sees it all, he knows it all, and he still declares you to be his masterpiece, his handiwork, his craftsmanship. Maybe just in your heart right now, you, you can say this to yourself, I am God's handiwork, I am God's masterpiece. And just let that statement ring true in your heart. But then Paul goes on and he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, being remade in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we're not just a masterpiece to be hung on a wall or to be admired on a table. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is a fundamental purpose of your life. And that's what I want you to understand about today. That this, this call to, to pray and to love and to offer hospitality and to serve selflessly, the stuff that Peter talked about, the stuff that Paul reiterates here, this is not just about doing what's morally right, although it is morally right. This is about you finding life. If you haven't figured it out by now, that's what we're kind of obsessed with here at Pathfinder, helping you find life. Life that goes on forever, life with God that is eternal, yes. But also helping you find, to, to taste, to experience more and more of that life in the here and now. We're all about bringing together imperfect people. And you are imperfect, so am I. But we are in pursuit of a whole life. And so as we talk about a whole life, we talk about it in all these different ways. We talk about um, a spiritual life that we have. We talk about our financial lives, our, our mental and emotional lives. We talk about our relational lives. We talk about our physical health, you know, our, our bodies, that part of our life. We also talk about our vocational life. And vocation is not a word that we use very often, but vocation um, when it's used, often refers to our job, to our profession. But we don't mean just a job or a profession here when we talk about your vocational life. We're really talking about a sense of calling or purpose on your life. And it may line up with what you do. You may get paid for it, and that can be great. That can also be dangerous. Uh, it can kind of get some things confused in your mind. If you lose your job, if you lost your purpose or calling, of course not. But what we're talking about when we talk about a calling or a vo vocation is we're talking about a purpose outside of you. Again, right, not in curvatus in se, but a purpose outside of you that's bigger than you that you can give your life to. And when you do that, it's not only morally right, it's not only what you're called to do, it's not only obedient to God's command for you, it is part of the way that you will discover a whole life. Now, uh, for some of you, um, you kind of already know all this. This is stuff that you already know, and you're like, yep, 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 amen, got it. But, but I want to say that even if you know everything that I've said, even if it's already true for you, 
there is a danger right here at this moment. Once we arrive at this understanding that I've just talked about already, there is a key danger here. There's a place where we then often go wrong as people who accept this to be true. I wanna show you again these words from Peter. They get at this danger. Peter says, each of you should use, we looked at this already, just refreshing you. Each of us should use whatever gift you have received, right? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received from God to serve others as faithful stewards, administers of God's grace in its various forms. Now I'm gonna to talk to you, there's a danger here. Before I talk about the danger, let me just acknowledge something else. I love this verse. The first time I encountered this verse, I was in college and my campus pastor encouraged us all to memorize it. And, uh, and I memorized it, the longer section here, but I, I love this verse. This is a verse we even had read at our wedding. 21 years ago, um, such a powerful reminder. I'll, I'll tell you why I love this, this verse, a couple of reasons. First, I love the idea in this verse that God's grace is multifaceted. Um, when I took my ordination vows, I agreed to become a steward of God's grace in a formal way. And in our church body, we talk about the means of grace, being preaching the word publicly and administering the sacraments, communion and baptism as being the things that I'm called to do. And, and so in my mind, I kind of had this narrow view that, that, oh yeah, to administer God's grace in its various forms, that must mean communion and baptism and preaching the word. But as you read First Peter, you realize that God's grace is so much bigger than even those things. That God's grace comes to us in hundreds, thousands, millions of different ways. That God's grace, when you have eyes to see it, is operating everywhere in the world around you. And I love that reminder that if I have the eyes to see it, if I have a heart that's open, I can encounter God's grace every day in millions of different ways because he is, he's showing us kindness and favor, that's what grace means, favor, undeserved favor, unmerited love. He shows it to us a million times over every day. I love that reminder that God's grace is not one size fits all. It is not uniform, it is so multifaceted. I love it for another reason too, not only does he talk about God's grace coming in various forms, but, but he says that we are all faithful stewards of God's grace. That it's not just called and ordained ministers of the gospel who get to administer God's grace. Every one of us are priests of God, dispensing God's grace into the world around us as we use our gifts to serve others. See, I love this text because it raises the value of what we're talking about here today that all of us have an important role to play because I'll tell you when it comes down to it and we look at the things that are broken in our world and we think about you know, the things we would love to change about our world, I'll tell you what our world needs most above everything else, what our world needs most is more grace. It needs more grace, period. Not more law, not more condemnation, not more judgment, not more fear, not more shame. Not more turning inward, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure me and my tribe and my family survive, not that kind of savagery, not better laws, not better government, not better elected officials. What the world needs most is more grace. That's what'll change our world. Grace is the only thing that I have ever witnessed that has the power to change a human heart. 
God's grace, when that gets in, everything changes. Until that happens, nothing can change. You can coerce, you can coax, you can shame, you can guilt. But truly, until God's grace gets into the heart of a person, nothing, there can be no lasting change. And if you doubt that, if you doubt that what the world needs most is more grace, period, then how do you explain Jesus? (laughs) Right, Jesus came into the world and he had everything at his disposal. He had all moral authority on his side. Jesus had a catalog of your life, everything good, everything bad that you've ever done. And he simply could have walked around prosecuting people you know, embarrassing them, shaming them, calling them to question. He had, he had the authority to judge. He could have done that. He had all wisdom and expertise if he wanted to craft a perfect societal system. He could have made governments that would have worked perfectly, the perfect utopian society, courts, laws, officials. He could have overthrown corrupt officials and put godly officials in their place. He could have done all that, but when Jesus came into the world, when God put on flesh and walked on our planet, what did he come to do? He came to offer grace. He came to favor people undeservedly, to love people to offer hospitality to people. He came to serve people. Not just with the kind of grace that makes you feel good, but the kind of grace that saves. If we look back at Paul's words in Ephesians, we looked at that part just after this that talks about how you're God's handiwork, you're God's masterpiece. Before that, he says these important words, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, when God came into the world in flesh, when Jesus walked around, he he came to do this one thing, to offer grace to the world. And if grace is what saves you, and I want you to know that God's grace has saved you, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything different than who you are today. That's not how you find your way back into the Father's love. That's not how you find your way back into the family of God. That's not the way you find life. The way you find life is simply by by acknowledging, trusting in what Jesus has done for you. It is by grace you've been saved. If grace is what saves you, then grace is what will save our world, right? And each of us have a call to live as stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, um, we, we've been talking about this for, for over a decade here at, um, at Pathfinder. Uh, we've talked about these four things that really relates to that spiritual part of our lives. If we want to grow in our spiritual life, we talk about four things, one, one, 15, six. Uh, this last one is especially close to my heart. Live the six other days serving God by serving others. We say that, yeah, you know, in your quiet time with God, in your 15 minutes, when we gather together in church, when we give, when we um, serve here in church, um, even as we live out our our lives in relationship, uh, we have an opportunity every day to live as stewards of God's grace simply by administering, serving, you know, taking whatever gift we've been given and use it for the benefit of others around us. Serving others is what you were created to do. And the way that you bless God and you honor God and you show your love for God, it's not just by sitting in a seat once a week, it's by living a life of service to those around you. 
Living the other six days, serving God by serving others. See, that's all the things that I love about 1 Peter 4. I showed you that verse, but remember I told you there's a danger. When Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, there is a danger there. This can all go wrong, and here's where it can go wrong. It goes wrong when we start trying to figure out, okay, what exactly is my gift? And that desire to understand what my gifts are and how do I best use the gifts that I have to serve others in a way that is, that is completely congruent that leads us to a place of analysis paralysis. <laughs> You've heard that before, right? Analysis paralysis, where you get so caught up in trying to figure things out, what are my gifts, what is the best way for me to use my gifts that you actually do nothing. See, sometimes we have this romantic view of discovering our gifts. Uh, we, we hear about it in our professional lives. Uh, you've heard it said, just find out what it is that you love to do and do what you love. And if you do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. <laughs> Sounds good. My dad used to say, of course you don't like it. That's why they call it work. If it was easy, if it was fun, everyone would do it and they wouldn't pay you for it. I think the truth probably lies somewhere in between those two things, I'm pretty sure. But we romanticize this idea of even work. I just find what you love. And so we spend our lifetime bouncing around from career to career. I just got to find what I love. And it's, it's going to be easy then. It's, it's never easy. Or we do this in romance when trying to find our romantic partner. If you just find the right person, then love is easy. Let me burst your bubble. Love is never easy. And sure, when you find someone who's compatible, a person of goodwill, someone who's aligned, it, it, it's a lot less hard. <laughs> it's never easy. And so some of us can get so focused on, oh, what are my gifts? What are my gifts? Got to figure out my exact gifts that we never actually get around to living a life of selfless service. See, this is the danger that we get caught up in Peter's words. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And we say, I got to figure out my gift. And we spend a lifetime just trying to figure out our gifts and we never actually get around to serving. Sometimes to break out of this logjam, to get out of this place of danger, uh, a, a simple adjustment is instead of starting with our gifts, here's what I want to encourage you to do, um, is to start with needs. Start with the obvious needs of the world around you. When you do that, here's what might happen. First, you might discover a gift that you never knew about, right? If you're trying to figure out your gifts, maybe you'll find them and then you can find a way to use them. If you start with the needs around you and you step into those needs, here's what you might discover. You're gifted at something that you never knew you were gifted at. Necessity is the mother of invention. You discover things just by throwing yourself into a problem. Sometimes you find solutions. Sometimes you'll discover something about yourself by putting yourself in a position that you've never been before. I've been on a lot of different mission trips. And before mission trips, when we travel off to some either foreign or domestic mission field, um, we gather together as a group and we do some team building and we make some plans. And in every mission trip that I've ever been on, there's always at least one person in the group, usually a guy, who says something like this. They say, you know, it's great that we're gonna be interacting with people and kids. I'm not great at that. Instead, just give me a shovel, give me a wheelbarrow, let me build something, let me sweat, let me do hard work. That's the best way I can contribute. 
And on a mission trip, we have lots of different ways for people to serve, so we say, hey, no problem. But here's what I've observed, that almost every time that same person who says, you know, I'm not great with kids, don't put me with the kids, just let me do manual labor, off in a field, by myself somewhere, they always end up being the one who on day three, the kids are hanging off their neck and their arms, and they just can't keep a flock of kids away from them. The kids are compelled by them because they thought they knew themselves. They thought they knew that they weren't good with kids, but it turns out being in the middle of just serving needs of people, they discovered something about themselves they didn't know, that they like kids more than they thought and kids like them more than they thought. I think this has been true for me every time I've just tried to serve others, I've discovered something about myself that I didn't know about. So instead of you know, just inventory after inventory trying to learn my gifts, I, I can step out and I can begin to serve others. Here's the other thing that it's not, it's not something you might discover, it's something you will discover when you start with the obvious needs around you. You will discover how God can supply even in places where you lack. I'm sure you've heard the name Mother Teresa before. We're getting a little more interactive. That's good. That's good. Progress. Yeah, um, Mother Teresa. um, She did amazing things in Calcutta. Um, Died in 1997 after a lifetime of service. She was um, uh, canonized or sainted by the Roman Catholic Church 19 years later. Saint Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa. after her death though, and especially as the Roman church was, was working to canonize her, um, she got a lot of flack after her death because as it turns out, she did not meet some people's defini- definition of what a saint should look like. She was not warm, she was not fuzzy, um, she was not a, an easygoing person. Uh, in fact, there's a radio host by the name of Scott Simon who interviewed her back in 1984. And here's what he said about all that. He said, when Mother Teresa told us in 1984, she was not a saint. She declared it herself. I didn't think she was being modest. I loved her. I was in awe of her. She was humble in a religious sense. But when you got to know Mother Teresa, you would call her shrewd, strong, cranky, even funny, but you would not call her modest. And so uh, when the Roman Catholic Church was working to saint her, people were like, she is not a saint. I mean, this this woman was, you know, cranky and and funny and shrewd and strong, not modest enough, not saintly enough, and so there was all of this flack. Not only that, uh, there rose up all of this flack even before her death because she didn't run her organization like a hospital. And so people in the medical world or the you know, doctors and stuff uh, would, would rightly point out that in her organization, as, as, uh, as they were working with people who were dying, they didn't follow all the cleanliness standards. They sometimes administered expired medications. They used untrained volunteers to care for people who had health issues. I, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure Chris Toomey, who was up here, will be up here later, um, even volunteered for a month or six weeks in India in college with Mother Teresa's charity, the Sisters of Charity, I think is what it's called. Um, and and so, so there was all this flack saying she, these things happened and, and Mother Teresa didn't deny those things, but what she did instead was she reminded people that she wasn't running a hospital, that they were a hospice. Uh, She reminded people that the only reason they existed is because on the streets of Calcutta, there were people who were dying alone, without dignity. They were untouchables, and and they were dying completely without grace or compassion. 
And although they weren't medical experts, they could do something. And so what she did was she brought people into a place of love and care and mercy and companionship where they could die not alone, but in dignity. And it would not be perfect, but it would be something. That interviewer, Scott Simon, that radio host, uh, here's what he went on to say. He said, when Mother Teresa denied she was a saint, uh, what she was saying to all of us, she, she said, we should know that it's not necessary to be a saint to do good. You need willing hands, not clean ones. I want to read that again. You need willing hands, not clean ones. And I would go even a step further. You need willing hands, not expert ones. God supplies those who are willing. You need willing hands, not clean ones. And he went on and he said, if we wait for our souls to be totally clean, our time on earth may slip away. And I would edit that and say, if you wait for your soul to be clean, if you wait for yourself to be fully equipped before you step out and serve others or do good in the world, your time on earth will surely slip away because this is never going to happen this side of eternity. Your hands are not clean. Your heart is not clean. You are not capable in your being to do everything that may be asked of you in this life. And you know what, that's okay. Because we worship a God who covers us, who declares us clean in spite of our sin. We worship a God who equips us, not because we're worthy, just because we are willing. And unless it meets the legal definition of malpractice, if there's a need in front of you, even if you don't feel equipped, saying, I can't serve because it's not my gift, that's no excuse. See, if we want to break the logjam that this world is in, if we want the world to change in a meaningful way, we cannot curve inward. Instead, we do one of two things. We, we, we acknowledge whatever gifts we've been given and we use them not just to bless ourselves but to serve others. And even when we're not aware of what our gifts are or even when we're not sure or even when a situation is calling for us to serve in ways that we don't feel gifted, whatever needs we see, we step forward in faith and we just do something. Because no matter what happens, here's what will happen. The grace of God will become manifest in the world in a multiplicity of ways. And no matter whether it's beautiful and elegant the way you serve, no matter whether someone could do it better, the world will receive more of God's grace through you. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you for giving us a calling as big as this. And thank you for giving us the freedom and the permission to not be perfect, to not have clean souls, clean hands, expert hands, but inviting us nevertheless to be administers, stewards of your grace in this world. God, thank you for the grace that you've given to each of us. Thank you for your grace in my life that washes over me and is changing me day by day. God, show us that we've got a part to play in this world, bringing more grace into it simply by serving the needs in front of us. Give us the courage to look within and to discover more about our gifts, but give us the courage to look around and to step forward in faith when we see a need and to trust you to supply. We pray in Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you would like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources at our website, pathfinderstl.org.